0: Praise the Lord, my dear friends. It's quiet tonight. It's very quiet tonight. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we will study the Word of God. We'll continue the series, and we'll learn and grow together. Amen. So as we spoke earlier, and as you heard earlier, Bogdan mentioned that we're continuing this series, and the series is on... What? Spiritual warfare, warfare, armor of God, good. Just so that we're all on the same page. Now we spoke about belt of truth, right? Breastplate of righteousness, what else? Gospel of peace, what else? Shield of faith, what else? Sandals, gospel of peace, good. Now what am I holding here? It's a very simple question. It's a helmet. What does a helmet do? It protects your head. From what? Concussions. Concussions. Specifically this type of helmet. What does this type of helmet do? Protect you from what? The ground. ground. That's right. First time I actually put one of these on and and rode a four-wheeler, I ended up flying off. Guess what was the first thing that hit the ground? This. And after that, I realized it's pretty important to wear. All right, what about a helmet that Apostle Paul saw? What was Apostle Paul looking at when he wrote the book of the Epistles of Ephesians? Who was he looking at when he sat in prison? He saw a Roman guard. And so he saw absolutely everything. As he's writing this letter, he's looking at this guard and he's thinking, that's exactly. What a Christian must wear and look like in the spiritual warfare. From the breastplate to the shield to the sword to the sandals. If you don't wear sandals, you're going to get splinters and whatnot. They're not comfortable. You're going to run your feet up and they're going to hurt. You can get all sorts of stuff. But he's looking at the helmet. The helmet's there to protect the head from what? So we're going to talk tonight about this helmet of salvation that Apostle Paul is speaking about. And that's something that the soldiers wore to protect their head from unforeseen circumstances. Arrows, spears, blunt trauma, penetrating trauma. That could have been the arrow. It could be anything. Now what happens if if you're in a situation where you're about to get impacted against your head, or you're about to impact the ground. You usually just close your eyes. It's natural reflex. Your eyes are protecting themselves because it's an important part of the head. You close your eyes. You don't know what's happening. But the helmet is still there to protect. And it's the same thing in warfare. Arrows flying. You may not see it. All of a sudden, you hear it. Next thing you know, it hit you. But you're wearing the helmet. And so Apostle Paul says, put on this helmet of salvation because it's our protection against the unseen arrows that are shot at us. Scripture says that Satan shoots his fiery darts at us. And if we listen to Sunday's sermon, Sunday's sermon specifically spoke, I believe it was Alex Lebedian specifically spoke that it always starts in the mind. It always starts in the mind. It always starts here. And that's where the devil starts gaining a foothold. He shoots arrows. It comes against us. Does it penetrate or does it bounce off? That's what the helmet of salvation is for. And so even though naturally we want to shut our eyes or think that, you know, the enemy is never going to go against us, no, he will, and he'll continue to shoot and shoot and shoot. With that being said, helmet of salvation, we wear it for a specific purpose: for knowledge, to protect our knowledge, to protect what we know. If we open up to the book of 1 John, chapter 1, 1 John, chapter one, verses one through four, we will read a few passages together. So, if you have your Bible, please use it. If not, Remember, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. Apostle John said this, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon with and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life." which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, Apostle John is writing this, and he's telling the listeners, the readers of the epistles, we saw Jesus Christ... He was made manifest to us. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him. We looked upon him. And we are now testifying to you that which we saw. And not only, but we proclaim to you that which we saw, Jesus Christ, resurrected, living again, alive. We know what we saw. This is what John is saying in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, 1 through 4. And it is not only John, but it is Peter, the apostle, and the other apostles who bore witness. They say, we were witnesses of this, and we shared with you that which we have seen, that which we know. Same thing with Peter, Apostle Peter. And the epistles of Peter wrote, we know what we saw in the mountain, and we are not making things up. We know what we saw. We saw Christ. All these apostles were so certain that Christ resurrected and lived again. They knew this. They understood this. That they all died knowing what Christ did and who he was. There are witnesses of this fact. And so it says that our joy may be complete to have fellowship that you may know. That you may know. This phrase is often requoted and quoted in scripture. When the apostles said in scripture that you may know. In fact, we read Isaiah 43 today, and one of the verses, I believe in verse 10, it said, That you may know. Know what? Know who. Know that God is your Savior. Know that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. That you may know that He is living. Just as we know, if we continue in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, it says these words. Chapter 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Underline, you may know. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know That we have the request that we have asked of him. And so John keeps saying that you may know. And if we know, and we do know. Same thing with Isaiah 43. If we bring up Isaiah 43, he said the same exact thing. Chapter 43, Isaiah verse this, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Christ is saying, I am he. And I I write these things and I speak to you that you may know, that you may believe and so the question is okay, here's the knowledge. We have knowledge. We're putting on this helmet of salvation because we know something. Well, what do we know? The knowledge of salvation or to know Jesus Christ. The well, apostles are saying we know and you may know all these to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to know the power in his name, to know Christ personally. This is the God of the Bible that we're speaking about. Christ came, made himself, and manifested himself amongst the people that they may know him. That they may know God. That they may know him at a personal level. Jesus Christ, the God that we serve and believe, he is a personal God. And he wants us to believe him and to know him. Not just know of him, but to know him. There's a difference. Let us say... This example, you go towards the White House and there's a president, President Trump. And you know him. You say, President Trump, President Trump. He doesn't react to you. But what if he knew you? And he looked at you and said, come on inside, I'll show you the White House. And he called you by name. Well, that's a difference because so many people know him or know of him, but he doesn't know many others. He doesn't know you. I'm insignificant to him. But to God, when he says that you may know me, it's because he knows us. He knows everything about us, and he wants us to know him. And the apostles were so certain that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The apostles were so certain that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, they gave up their life for him to continue writing, to continue sharing, to continue witnessing, to continue giving the testimony that they believed in Jesus Christ and spoke truly of who he is and what he did. And the story continues, the church continues, and it continues to grow. So when we're talking about putting on the helmet of salvation, we're talking about taking the helmet that Christ gives and putting it on our head, this salvation Of knowing Jesus Christ. Because the New Testament teaches over and over that there is no other name which a man can be saved by. Acts 4.12. Only by the name of Jesus Christ. No other name. You read the book of Revelations, many books later, and it says salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to Christ. It is he who gives salvation. So, knowledge of salvation and knowing Christ, knowing his name, knowing him personally. Here's a question Do you know Jesus Christ at a personal level? Can you, in your car while you're driving, turn everything off, mute everything, and just speak with him, pray to him, worship him personally? Can you go into your own bedroom and speak to God at a personal level, just as you do with a friend, or can you not? God is personal, and he says over and over that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. I am your Savior. Isaiah 43, he is the only Savior who can save Israel, the only one, no other God. And the same God still speaks to us, I'm the only Savior who can save you. He's a personal Savior. Do you have this knowledge of Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Ask yourself this question. Do I know Christ? Do I know Him? And is He my Savior? And am I saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Now let us look through Scripture and see... Other names that, that he has He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. he's the Son of God, He is the Prince of peace. is Jesus Christ your Prince of peace? it's not hidden it's a fact during this COVID since March, there are more suicide that the rate has skyrocketed drug abuse, alcoholism, abuse in the families, has skyrocketed. All that has gone up. And besides that, the anxiety that people don't know what will come tomorrow. There is an article that was just recently released, California is going back into shutdown, and, it, and the article say that the people are starting to turn against on each other. And you see it just some personal experience in the store where I work. We have people coming in. And and they're cussing people out. Some people try to kick everyone out of the store and and push them out if they weren't wearing a mask. And vice versa. It's it's almost an everyday norm now. Assault and verbal assault and so on. There's no peace. Now ask yourself the question. Is the Prince of Peace residing in my heart and in my life? The world doesn't see him. The world doesn't know him. But you know him. Are you a witness of this fact? What are his other names? God with us. Emmanuel. We hear this around Christmas time. Emmanuel. We hear in the, in the songs. We sing it all the time. God with us. God's walking amongst us. The book of John chapter 1 speaks of this. It says that God came and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among mankind. Mankind they didn't like the light. They didn't want him. That's what John says. But Christ dwelt among man. Emmanuel. He came in the flesh. The word of God. That is his other name. And Scripture teaches that we need to know of Christ. And know Christ. And there's a few things that we must understand. Concerning Jesus Christ. That he being God. Emptied the form emptied himself and became a servant. He took on the form of man. This is what the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians teaches. Even though he knew the form of God, he emptied himself and took on the form of man. He emptied himself and went to the cross. He became a man. Colossians teaches that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. The fullness of God resided in Christ. We look at the gospels. We see Christ. He was man. Why? Because he wept. We know he was man because he wept. He slept. He was hungry. He had emotions just as every other human being on this planet. He had anger when he turned over the tables. He had joy. He had peace. He had sorrow. He had sympathy. He had all these emotions, these traits that we human beings have. Yet he was also God. And we know he was God. Looking through the Gospels, he controlled the weather. And the the weather listened. He he never didn't allow a person, when when the person came and worshipped him and bowed down on his feet, he never said, don't worship me. You can't do that. All the angels in all of the Bible said, Do not worship me. Worship him. Christ never forbid them. He allowed it. What person allows worship towards themselves? Christ did because he was God. He forgave people of their sins. We can't forgive people of their sins. We can forgive when we're sinned against each other. But we can't forgive a person their sins that they committed against God. Christ forgave them. He performed miracles. He gave sight to the blind. The mute spoke. The deaf heard. And every time he did one of these miracles, it was always differently. Somebody had to go wash in there. Sometimes he just spoke. Sometimes he was miles away, and that is command or the person's faith. He allowed it to happen. He was man, yet he was God. And so we understand and know that Christ came in the flesh. John says that the word of God came down and became flesh. He dwelt among us. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you hear and you see this, this oftentimes or throughout the other epistles, uh, a Peter, while he was in the days of his flesh, in his flesh, he offered prayers and groans. Why? Because he was in the flesh. Yet he was God. Understanding and knowing this, it is a test. And we know in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, it says that a person cannot say Jesus is Lord unless of the Spirit. Now, you may think, well, it's easy to say Jesus is Lord and anybody can say it. But let's look at it this way if you were to come up to a person and say and ask the question, is Jesus Christ the Lord? What would their answer be? It has to be a yes or a no. Now, if a person says yes, they have to mean it, or they mostly do mean it, or they take it seriously. If they say no, it's because they don't—they completely disregard all of Scripture. So the answer is yes or no. Jesus Christ is Lord. He came and dwelt in the flesh, dwelt among us. But once He died, flesh didn't hold on to Him. He resurrected on the third day. Resurrected went up to God the Father, and stayed up there. He dwelt among us. Praise God. Let's open up to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read this Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. It says, although he was a son, and we heard this Sunday morning, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. To all who obey him, he became the source of salvation. Eternal salvation. Eternal forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The source of eternal salvation. Praise God. Praise God. He was able to do that because he was God. Because he is eternal. If God was never eternal, if God was not eternal, he could not give the gift of eternal love, eternal life, eternal dwelling with him forever and ever eternal security in him so knowing of Jesus Christ who Jesus Christ is and was and still is let's look at this topic of salvation this is a doctrine in scripture that all of us need to understand and when we hear the word salvation what first comes to your mind let me see a few hands when i were if someone were to ask you what is salvation What would be your answer? Let's hear some uh, answers. Death on the cross. Death on the cross. Good. What else? What is salvation? Let's hear from this side. What is salvation? We won't continue until we hear something. Okay, accepting Jesus as Lord and dying to oneself. Any others back there? What is salvation? Some of you know Scripture so well. I don't hear anything. You can say it out loud. What is salvation? What is it? Being saved. saved. Okay, good. What about on this side, towards the back? What is salvation? Somewhere to ask you, what is salvation? Grace, good. Saved from what? Grace for what? Yeah. Sins. Our sins. Eternal death. What else? Okay, thank you for the technical definition. That's good. Let's continue on. Salvation. Looking at salvation, the definition is deliverance from sin. This is in biblical context. Deliverance from sin and its consequences. What are the consequences of sin? Death. For the wages of sin is death. That's what scripture teaches. The wages of sin is death. Alright. In order to understand salvation, we first must understand what sin is. This is basic, but at the same time it's not. It's very complex. So looking further into salvation, into sin, it is sin that separates us from God, keeps us out of heaven, and more basically, it keeps us away from having a relationship with Him. That's what sin does. Now, God is holy, and holy is anything to do that is completely separated from sin. God is holy And the book of James, I believe, says that God cannot tempt you. He is holy. He is without sin. He knows no sin. So God is holy. Jesus Christ is holy. Looking at Christ Jesus as he walked on earth, he was holy, completely blameless, never sinned. The only human being who never sinned on earth. All right. In order to be saved... What does that mean? Rescued from the consequences of our sin. We need to make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as personal, personal Lord and Savior. Not the God of your dad. Not the God of your mom. Not the God of pastors. Your God. Your God. Personal Jesus Christ. Here, let me share this a testimony, a story. A few weeks ago, I was working on Saturday, it was around one to two o'clock in the afternoon, and I was somewhere in the back. I was asked, hey, there's somebody here who wants to talk to you. Sure. Send him to the warehouse. I go into the warehouse. This person, he looks pretty cool. He comes into the warehouse, necklace, you know, just the whole thing, right? And he has a train of people, like four or five people. And I come out. I kind of look like a scrub, you know, shorts, shirt, whatever. I was in the cooler for a few hours. So I said, let's go into the warehouse. Let's, let me just talk to you and whoever else, your friend. He comes in, and, and they're talking, and they're trying to sell me some sort of product. I'm listening to him, and I start explaining some things back, and we go back and forth. And then he, drew a couple, he, he dropped a couple of, uh, we'll say, F-bombs. And then a couple other words. And I said, look, man, stop with the language, all right? He says, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Conversation continues, and then he says, oh, my dad's a pastor, by the way. And he, this man was probably close to his 40s. He said, your, your dad's a pastor. You said you go to church and you're a Christian. Well, how come you're saying this, 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 and that, if you know these things? Oh, well, you know... My dad's my dad. He, he's the pastor. It's not me. I said, but don't you go to church? Yes. Don't you believe? Yes. So then why? Why are you doing it or saying these things? Well, I, I guess you got me there. I guess you got me there. I said, look, if your dad's a pastor and serves Christ and you know everything about Christ, why don't you as well? Why be in this, in this middle You know, many of us, we have a a dad or a mom or both of our parents love Christ and follow them, but somewhere the children along the way kind of go a little astray. Sometimes, not all the time. And we think, well, because my parents are Christian, I'm okay. No, you need to yourself know Christ at a personal level. All of us do. All of us do. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just someone else. All of us have sinned before God. And all of us were supposed to go towards hell. But you see, Jesus Christ made a way. And, and, and the scripture, the gospel is this. Though all have sinned, there's good news. Well, what's the good news? You know, the book of John, chapter 1, verses 12, shows us a wonderful promise. John 1, 12 says these words. But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you believed in him, you have the right to become his child. Well, what about John chapter 5, 24, it says these words, five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. How simple. All you must do is believe. Believe Jesus Christ and listen to his word and you're saved. You're saved, passed from judgment, from death into life. Well, what about 1 John 5.13? That's what we read earlier. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You believe in the Son of God, you have eternal life. And So even though all have sinned, you see scripture Gives us hope because because it's been spoken to us and it is written in God's word that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us of our condition where we are, but he always gives us a way out. He gives us hope. He gives life. The promises that are written in his word. So okay, knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is, knowing that we have sinned, and fallen short of His glory, Jesus Christ Himself came to this earth and fulfilled one thing, this long word called propitiation. Now, who's read it in Scripture before? Please raise your hand. Praise God, we've read it. Propitiation really means satisfied or appeased God's wrath. Now, God's wrath is towards us, children of mankind, Because we are disobedient by nature. By nature, we are born with a sinful nature and have this bent capacity to always want to sin. But Jesus Christ came on this earth and he died on the cross so that when he was on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. There's this famous song that's been going around for some years, The Wrath of God Was Satisfied. And that's what happened. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. It pleased God to crush him. How could it please God to crush his only son? It pleased God to crush him in order for that many more to come. That's what it was. So God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus Christ died on the cross. It is God who is satisfied that what Christ did on the cross completely paid for sin. In the Old Testament, a blood sacrifice was always required. It was either a goat or a lamb, always. There was some sort of sacrifice, and there was shedding of the blood. Without shedding of the blood, it is impossible to forgive. That's what Hebrews says. But Christ came, and he was the sufficient sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who was slain, killed, shed his blood, and appeased God's wrath. He was the Lamb that was spotless, blameless. He was without blemish. He was without any broken bones. He was perfect. He was sinless. You see, if some of us went on the cross, we would never be able to appease God's wrath for all mankind because we've sinned. But Jesus Christ is blameless. And so he was the propitiation of our sin. Hebrews 2.17 says this. Hebrews 2.17 says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, meaning Christ became man, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For our sins, once and for all, God's wrath is satisfied. Once and for all, the sacrifice that was done on the cross by Jesus Christ was enough. No more blood from goats... Or rams, because Jesus Christ Himself, the high priest, went by His own blood, His own life, that He may be the propitiation of our sins. You see, when Jesus Christ did that, He appeased the wrath of God. And that is why John says, All those who believe in Him, who believe in Him, have passed judgment to life. From judgment to life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, there is no more judgment upon you because you are covered by the Lamb. You are covered by the blood of Christ. And if you are covered and you believe in Jesus Christ, there's no more judgment on you. You're saved because Christ fulfilled his work on the cross. Let's take a look at this example right here. When we're looking at this picture, there's a great chasm. It's impossible for us to reach to the other side. It's impossible for us to get to know Christ. It's impossible for us to come to the Father, but by Jesus. But by Jesus. Hebrews teaches that he made it possible by his own flesh. He took down that curtain and he made a way to God the Father. And that is only through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It is his grace and his mercy... Not what we did, not what we can ever do, but, but it is Jesus Christ, because He became the propitiation of our sins. First John 4:10 teaches this. First John chapter four verses 10 says these words. "In this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the propitiation for our sins because he first loved us. While we are still sinners, he died for us. He loved us before we loved him because it is he who gives us love and the ability to love him and love our brothers and sisters. Well, Propitiation is not the only thing that Jesus Christ did on the cross. It is not the only topic within the topic of salvation. There is another word reconciliation. We look at reconcile or to be reconciled. What first comes to your mind? If I were to say, Are you reconciled with your brother or are you reconciled with your sister? What, what's your answer? What, what, give an example. To make peace. Can I get two volunteers? It'll be quick. Two. All right. Come up. Come up, Yulia. Come up. Come up. One more. One more. All right. Come up, young man. What's your name? Uh, David. I was going to my That's all right, David. Come up. God bless you. That's okay. We're going to show an illustration of what it means to be reconciled. Okay. So these two are brother and sister in Christ. That's what they are. Guess what? He said some bad things against her. She said some bad things against him. All right? So They fought. That happens. Walk away from each other. All right, now stop. Stop. Their conscience is getting to them, which is good. Now come back to each other and shake each other's hands. Say, God bless you. All right, praise God. They reconciled. Jesus Christ gave this wonderful illustration. You may be seated. Thank you. Jesus Christ. I'm not going to keep you up here for 10 minutes. Christ Jesus gave this wonderful example. When he spoke, he said, when you're on the way to the judge, make everything, I'm paraphrasing, As much as possible in your strength to reconcile with the person who is taking you to the judge. Because if he takes you to the judge and you're standing before the judge, you can't reconcile with anyone. And then the judge will throw you over to the guard. And the guard will throw you over into prison. And then you'll be in there. And you won't come out until you make your payment full. Until you reach it. When we look at that illustration, we are on the way To the judgment. We are on the way to stand before the almighty God and judgment. Christ made a way. He's standing there. Should we reconcile with him? Absolutely. We reconcile with him. He reconciles us to God the Father. We're reconciled. pass from judgment to life. That's what he did. He stretched out his hands and said, let's be reconciled. But believe me first. And that's what we do. So salvation reconciliation 2 Corinthians I want to read this passage 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 through 20 reads these words All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is what Apostle Paul is telling the church of Corinth. Be reconciled to God. Christ made a way. We are ambassadors. We're speaking to you. Be reconciled to him. Because God wants you to reconcile with Him. And that is possible by the work that Christ Jesus did on the cross. Knowing this example, Colossians 1.22 says very similar. Colossians 1.22 says these words. Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus Christ reconciled you and me with his father. With God the father. Now he not only reconciled but he also redeemed us. This also falls into salvation. Redemption means paid for or bought. Matthew 20, 28 speaks of the Christ came to serve and not be served and to give us life as a ransom for many. What's ransom? We all know what ransom is. We all know what it means to be redeemed. We all know what someone's kidnapped, for example. And the kidnapper says, you want this child back? Give me $100 million. That's the ransom. That's the set price for that child. Very expensive. Our life is worth more because our life is precious in the sight of God. Just a side note. Sin has been paid for. So when we received Christ, we chose to be bought out of the slave market of sin by God. He redeemed us, me and you. Isaiah 43.1 spoke about that. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. When we say, Lord, I believe in you, I confess my sin, and I profess you as my Lord and Savior of my heart and of my life. What we're doing at this moment is we're surrendering ourselves, our lives, and saying, Lord, you redeemed me. You bought me out of the slave market of sin. I now want to belong to you. Take me out. And the Lord marks us. He takes us out. We're marked by his blood. We are redeemed. Does that mean we can still sin? Yes, yes. But sin becomes distasteful in our mouth. We start to hate sin. We look at former life and we say, no, that's not for me. I'm in Christ now. I've been redeemed. I've been purchased. I belong to him. I'm his child. He bought me by his blood. Scripture teaches that you were bought at a very heavy price. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are bought at a price. Me and you, we now belong to God the Father. We belong to Almighty God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are His children. And He marked us and paid for us and bought us and said, You're now mine. You're redeemed. I paid for you by my own blood. This is what Scripture teaches. He bought us. No one else. No one else. There is one time, I want to share this illustration. A Christian man. Who was debating with a man who was a Satanist. And after much going back and forth, the Christian man looked at him and said, Does Satan, your master, love you? Does he love you? And that man stopped. And he couldn't answer. Because he realized that his master, whom he served, didn't care for him, didn't love him, didn't buy him, didn't pay his life for him. But Christ did that for us. And that's what Scripture teaches us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He hung on that tree as Galatians chapter 3 teaches us. He hung on that tree because Scripture says, Cursed be anyone who hangs on the tree. And Christ became that curse in order to redeem us. And 2 Peter 2.1 says that there are those false teachers in the last days who will be even denying the Master who bought them. Our master is Jesus Christ. He paid for us. He bought us. We belong to him. We belong to him. Amen. But salvation encompasses reconciliation. It encompasses redemption. It also does substitution. Now, you ever heard of this word, substitution? Does it bring math to mind? Algebra? Was it algebra? substitution yes or no yes it does it's a math term substitution you see this is a wonderful example of what happened on the cross Christ Jesus went on the cross instead of us he took our place and as Matthew 20 28 says he gave his life as a ransom for many he came to serve not to be served we like to be served sometimes but Christ came to serve the king of kings and lord of lords came to serve us. Christ died on the cross for us. He substituted our spot. We were all supposed to die for our sin. Yet Christ died for our sin. The sinless one carried our sin. The perfect one carried our imperfection. The blameless one took all of our blame. The spotless one took all of our wrath. The Son took on the wrath from the Father that the illegitimate children, we, could become sons and daughters of him. Isn't that, isn't that praiseworthy? Praise God, because we could never do the work that he did on the cross, ever. And what he fulfilled on the cross, when he took our spot and gave us life, he did everything, thinking about you and me. For God so loved the world, Scripture teaches, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the gospel. But what else? There's one, one last thing I want to teach. It's justification. Salvation comes by faith. And justification is the declaration of God that we are right or righteous in His eyes. We are all familiar with Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death. I'm sorry, that is Romans six. But Romans chapter 3, verses 23 says, Not all are, No one is righteous, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. If we open up to Romans chapter 3, verses 23. Romans chapter 3, verses 23. Let's read the later part, the latter part. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God... Put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You take this right here, Romans 3.23-26, through 26, And this is the gospel. We spoke over the propitiation, over redemption, over justification. And it's all right here through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe in the Son of God, you are now justified by faith. Justified. God the Father sees you as righteous, not because of your works, no. Our works are like filthy rags before God. We can never save ourselves by our own works or by our own deeds or or completing the law. We can never fulfill it. We've broken one law, that means we're lawbreakers. But when we believe in Christ and put our faith into Him, confess Him as Lord, we are now justified by his work on the cross. His blood washed us. redeemed us. He became the propitiation of our sins. He redeemed us. And now we are in the sight of God as righteous. Because of the righteous work that Jesus Christ has completed. It is not us. It is him. It is not what we did. It is what he did. It is all back to him. And glory and praise and honor. A great example of justification. Romans chapter 4 teaches about Abraham. Now Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. God said stand up from Ur. Even though you're 75 years old. And go out of the land of Chaldeans. To a new land. That I will give to you. And to your descendants. And what did Abraham do? Back then Abraham got up. And followed God. He listened. He walked 700 miles. To a new place. And he continued to be a nomad. And walked around. And acquired wealth. And walked around. But he always looked up to God. He had faith in him. And it was credited to him as righteous. That's why he's called the father of faith. That's why we see him from the book of Genesis. All the way through through the New Testament. Because he believed God. God justified him he was now just before God's sight and his faith was credited to him as righteous if you put your trust in Jesus Christ your faith is credited to you as righteousness because your faith is in Jesus Christ and he is the righteous one It is not our righteousness, it is his righteousness. So, when the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says, Put on the helmet of salvation, he's really saying, Put on absolutely all of this. Put on what God has done for you on the cross, put it on and keep it on, and don't take it off. Apostle Paul spoke to one of the epistles, he said, I I am frustrated. I'm paraphrasing, that my work was done in vain. I spoke to you and I taught you grace. Why are you going back to the law? Can the law save you? No. Can circumcision save you? No. No, it is only by the grace and blood and mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, grace is something that we don't deserve, friends. We don't. We don't deserve mercy. But let's imagine this example. God sitting on his throne And Jesus Christ is at his right side. He's sitting. He completed the work. He's sitting there. And he's our advocating attorney. He's the one who intercedes for us. He's the one who speaks on our behalf. And we come up to God the Father. And we're standing in this judgment place. And we're supposed to be condemned for our sin and our wrongdoing. And if you think you're righteous and and great and perfect, have you at least done one sin? That's enough to get you out of the sight of God. That's scriptural. But then Christ Jesus stands up. He clothes us with white clothing. And we're marked by his blood. We're saved. We're redeemed. All of a sudden, we're made righteous. But, but, But let's take a step back. We stand before God, right? And it's life or death. It's life or death. And God extends us his mercy by giving us life. And then, furthermore, he says, here's grace to you. Here's new clothes. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. Here's the free gift of eternal life. Mercy, he gave us life. By his mercy, he gave us life. By his grace, he gave us more. Salvation. Salvation. Child, children of God who will dwell with him forever. And when we put on this helmet of salvation, we're putting in all, all of the Bible, all of the scripture, all of the promises written in his word. All of it. And we are his. Scripture says that, that no one will snatch you out of his hands. That's the gospel. Our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Our salvation can be trusted in the hands of Jesus Christ. And our lives can be trusted fully in Him because of everything He did on the cross. I want to end with a short story I read from the, from the magazine Voice of Martyrs. It was exactly this one. And if you can just listen and, and pay attention, I want to read to you a short story about a, ma- a woman named Aisha Granger. Now, please follow along. Aisha Granger is not your typical seminary student. She's 43, a divorced mother of two children, and she's Fulani, a member of the predominantly Muslim nomadic tribe spread across West Africa. Her journey started with a desire to learn. I really wanted to go to school, Aisha said. But growing up in the Muslim environment as a Muslim girl, your orientation is toward growing up and being a good Muslim, a good mother. Aisha followed cultural norms by marrying at age 18 and giving birth to her first child a year later. As a young woman, she studied at the College of Islamic Studies in Baki State and became a state representative for the Federation of Muslim Women. She even converted her living room into a mosque where women could pray since Islam does not allow women to mix with men, women to mix with men for prayer at the community mosque. I used to be a very fanatical Muslim, she said. We were taught that Christians are infidels and we should not befriend them. We should not listen to them because they are not worshipers of Allah. We were always encouraged to stay away from Christians because they will make us turn away from our faith." Then she heard God speak. When Aisha was in her 20s, she suffered from deliberating migraine headaches. She tried all the remedies offered by traditional healers but nothing helped. As a last resort, she was told to recite a Quranic passage four times before slaughtering four rams. If that did not work, the healer said, she would die. When the sacrifice failed to help, Aisha concluded that she was about to die. In desperation, she decided to perform one last prayer, So she went to the bathroom to perform her ritual washing. Before she could complete this final work, however, she dropped to the floor. Aisha sensed a voice saying, I want you to worship me. She knew enough about the Christian faith to realize this still small voice had to be the God of the Bible who interacts on a personal level. The supernatural encounter sent Aisha on a four-year search. She gradually stepped away from leadership positions she held in Islamic women's groups and began spending a lot of time in her living room seeking God. Although she knew how much she stood to lose if she chose the infidel's God over the religion of her people, she could see that Jesus Christ offered something different. I have never heard of salvation before in Islam she said there's nothing like that your salvation is only by your good deeds even then Allah will decide whether you go to paradise or not there is no assurance as she studied the Bible and attended church Aisha discovered that Jesus Christ had already accomplished everything necessary for her salvation on the cross She simply needed to place her faith in his righteousness to gain freedom from the curse of the law. Soon, Aisha was ready to tell her husband about her new faith. And I'll end there. A story that took place and it continues to. She's still there in that place where she lives, in that Muslim world. But she understood the law. She understood that If she puts her faith in Jesus Christ, he gives something different than nothing else can or no one else can. And as soon as she understood grace and mercy and the righteousness that comes from Christ, that is in Christ, and the work done on the cross for our salvation, she accepted him. Uh, Friends, ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus Christ as my personal God? Can I take the helmet of salvation and put it on and keep it on? Because once I do, I'm fully assured that I have salvation. Hallelujah. Ask yourself, am I wearing this helmet? Am I holding on to Christ? And is he holding on to me? Because he does. He gives us assurance that we're saved. And we're going to live with him for eternity. Examine your life. Examine what you think, examine what you do and what you believe in and believe Jesus Christ as the Son of God and your faith will credit to you as righteousness. You'll be justified by faith and you'll be saved only, only through the work of Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us all stand for prayer and I'll end there.